Okay, so we're going to walk through that book this morning. You're going to hear from Eric Phillips. Yeah. This morning. Um, then we're going to, to have uh, Andrew Ong is going to come and speak with us. We'll have a little bathroom break. We'll give you a little bathroom break there. Then Andrew Ong is going to come and speak with us. Um, and I can't wait. To, both of those, I don't, don't want to give anything away, so I'm not even going to talk about them. But he's got homework for you as well. And uh, today we're going we're gonna to have, there's going to be a big homework assignment that we're going to need to take pretty seriously. has to do with the fact that you guys got that list of the mighty men of God um, throughout history, throughout your Bible. Um, and we're going we're gonna to grapple with that and uh, have a homework ex- uh, assignment today. today. Uh, then we're going to spend the afternoon hanging out. And we're going to go be stupid. Uh, we're going to get a sack lunch. We're going to carpool over to... Uh, to Holmes Park, and we'll probably play some soccer and some Fox Box, yeah. whatever crazy yard games that have been brought. I don't even know. Uh, those, people are talking about all different types of stuff. Um, and we're gonna get sweaty, and then we're gonna come back here, and we're going to uh, we're going to, to grill out this evening, and goof around, play about some basketball. Then we're gonna come back in, and um, and then there'll be a time of teaching then as well. So. Uh, we should be done around, I would say, 9 at the latest. We'll need to clean up after ourselves a little bit. Uh, but So that's that's the loose schedule. I don't want us to be entirely too strict with our schedule today because I want to also make sure that we're leaving uh, some room uh, for just enjoying one another and having good, meaningful conversations. So, okay. So here we are. We're doing something we haven't done before. We don't... As far as I know, there hasn't been a men's retreat in Kaya. And you know, it's not a full retreat. It's one day, right? It's just us together. And this needs to be restful. Okay? Um, so whatever you've, you've got going on, uh, this interrupts. Okay? And we need to take some time to recognize that none of that stuff exists. Okay? Right now, us together, you've set aside this time with intention and purpose. Some of you have planned this in your schedule for weeks now, knowing that this is where God wants you to be. And when you are where God wants you to be, there's no reason to be anxious about anything. Uh, let's just be with each other. Can we do that? Yeah. Let's just agree to have true fellowship. Um, now, uh, when I first came to Kai, it's been... I guess it's been seven months, huh? Isn't that crazy? Time goes fast, doesn't it? When I first came into Kaya, there wasn't a whole lot that I um, assumed. I thought it was probably wise of me to kind of just watch for a while and and see where we were at before I cast too much of a vision. Well, it didn't really work out that way. Okay, We started talking about the significance of evangelism and how to reprioritize Bible studies and, and you started changing things right off the bat and I didn't mean to do that uh, but that's just got how God moved and I've, we've been seeing him work and because of that work because you guys listened um, there are faces here today uh, that would not have been here except for the fact that God told us as a ministry that it was time to expand our Bible studies and start taking uh, uh a different, a slightly different perspective on how we do things and challenge ourselves and stretch ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so thank God for that. Thank God for that vision that God is, is doing this work and we're seeing God beginning to, to grow our discipleship ministry. 
One of the things I did know right off the bat, though, when I came into Kaya is that we were in desperate need of this today. Um, I knew um, really in the first month that I wanted to do this. And here's the reason why, okay? Um, this group of guys is some of the most devoted men um, that, I, that I know are in this room. Okay? Um, devoted at different levels, though. And this is the thing that I saw. Devoted... Um, let's take the shirt right off their back, give it to somebody, but devoted in ways that would also, like there's also things that there are, there's like deficiencies in your devotion. Okay? Things that I saw that like guys were really good at one particular thing. Maybe it was some sort of service. Maybe it was one type, maybe they were, they were particularly good at doing one type of thing. And the thing that I was noticing, there was a lot of men who were bearing the brunt of the service portion of ministry Okay, but we're really struggling with what ministry truly was. Okay, lots of very busy men in Kaya. Uh, men that when they get a phone call from Chris Miller or from Gordon or from, from some ministry leader, you were quick to say yes and to do it, be here to to set up and to. And I'm not taking anything away from that. That part of who you are is amazing. I mean, God built that into you. This is a this is a group of servants leaders. But the thing that I was struggling with was the fact that I wasn't seeing evangelism and discipleship happening the way that I really, I felt like it should be happening. This is a group of mature men who've been discipled. They know God's word. What is keeping us from doing, doing that? What is it, what is it, it's keeping us from stepping out in that way? I had a conversation with the AV team last weekend. We talked about the difference between between worship and praise and service and ministry, a lot of times don't we use the word ministry to just describe the things that we do to serve? Don't we do that? When we're talking about ministry, what we mean is that we're coming to church and setting up chairs. Okay? Which is certainly ministry. But service is a subset of ministry. It's a particular type of ministry. Ministry as a whole is related to, if you look at ministry in Scripture, is related to gospel-centered activity. Gospel-centered activity. That's what ministry is. And some of us, I think, maybe have a slightly skewed view of ministry. And maybe it's because we've, we lack the ability to prioritize. Okay? Now let me, let me say this. Today is going to be a lot about leadership talk. What it means to be a man and be a leader in Kaya. And the first thing that we need for our Kaya men to be is ministry focus. Ministry focus. We need to have the right perspective on what ministry truly is and we need to, to be about it and we need to be to, devoted to it and we need to be setting the right example. Um... But there are some things that we're going to talk about today that are going to be kind of painful to hear. And I need you to be very self-reflective. From the very beginning, I, I need you to understand that all of us in this room have things that we struggle with. And when God takes the time today to put his finger on that canker sore, right? Amen, amen. <laughs> and, point out, and point out an area of deficiency, it is going to be painful for you you need to respond rightly. Yeah. 
okay? And no one's going to be, we're not having one-on-ones today where we talk about how bad you are at ministry. That's not happening. Come on. I'm going to do that. I'm going to save it for another day. That's what we do. When Uriah invites you to come meet with me, meet me at the coffee shop, you know exactly what's going on. Can we do that though? Can you like go in the bathroom stall and like go in like stuff? into my office? <laughs> <laughs> like the fonz? Hey, uh, come into my office. <laughs> uh, but but as stuff comes up today, as God's word pro- provokes you, respond rightly because listen to me, guys. I'm going to tell you this right now. We have a ministry that's one third men, two thirds women. Okay, now. I don't fully understand what that means. That, that either means that the men have some deficiency in terms of the way they do ministry, or the women are rock stars at things that promote discipleship, or it's a little bit of both, and that's kind of where I'm landing. That's kind of where I'm at. The girls are awesome. And the guys are awesome. The guys just struggle with deficiencies in certain areas. And we're going to talk about that stuff today. And I don't want to, I'm not here to preach. I want, Eric, I want Eric to preach. And today, Eric's going to be preaching on the idea of growth. And um, I haven't seen his outline, so I'm not going to assume too much. But I know this. He's going to address whether or not we, each of us have a vision, a personal vision, for what it means to grow uh, in ministry, in life, in God's Word. He's going he's gonna to hit on that stuff, and we need to be ready for him. And I'm going to pray for him, if that's okay. Um, he doesn't have a PowerPoint. Andrew, you do have a PowerPoint. We can get that set up later, right? I already set it up. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Why are you? Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. 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 So, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, right. Okay, everybody has a hand up? Mm-hmm. All right, are we ready yeah. to do this? This is going to be a long day, and it's going to be grueling. We need, to, we need to be about it. Okay. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, Lord... You are righteous, you are holy. Uh, God, you sent your son to this earth uh, to live a life that sets the perfect example for what a male leader should be. Um, God, your word over and over again emphasizes male leaders. Uh, It doesn't de-emphasize women leaders, but it emphasizes male leaders in this way that, that does set us apart and calls us to something particularly unique. And God, I pray that all of us would be able to look Jesus in the face and to see who he was in ministry, to see how he functioned, to see, Lord, what your word says about who we should be, and we would be able to respond in a way that allows us to lead in our ministry, lead the women, lead the other men, lead the growing uh, believers, uh, to follow after you with greater consecration, to love your word, uh, uh, to preach the gospel, to be uh, devoted to to the salvation of, of people in our lives um, that, that do not know you, that we would grow hungry for prayer, that we would go, grow hungry for reading your word, that we would grow hungry for, for fellowship, and that, God, we would take all of the things in our lives and prioritize them in terms of your calling on our life, that ministry would come first, that intimacy with you would come first, and that everything else would find its proper place in relation to ministry. And we don't know how to do that, God. We, we really struggle with it. We struggle with our time. We struggle with entertainment. 
We struggle with, with uh, investing in poor relationships. And part of that is naivety. Uh, part of that is weakness, uh, God. But part of it sometimes is wickedness because we step into areas and we, and we, we lift up areas of our life um, that, God, you wouldn't have us to prioritize. And, um, and so, God, I just ask that today would be challenging. He would use my brother Eric to speak truth to us, that we would, uh, we would all see how we could grow uh, more and more into our roles as leaders in this church, uh, in our body, and in our community. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Go to Acts chapter 16, please. Um, I think most of you are probably familiar with Paul and Timothy, and uh, Timothy was a disciple of Paul, and, and what I want to consider this morning is the relationship between Paul and Timothy and kind of how that got started. Thank you. Kind of how that got started and use that as a framework for what, what, what we can get from God. The, the title of the message is Taking Hold and, and, and Going Deeper, and I pray that you came this morning wanting to, to do the, just that, uh, to take hold of what God has for you and, and go deeper. You should have a, a copy of the outline. Acts chapter 16, verse 1, says, Then came he to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess and believed, but his father was a Greek which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they knew all that, they knew all that his father was a Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for the keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. And so were the churches established in faith and increased in number daily. So what you have here is a really good accounting of the, the origins of, of Timothy. This is, this is where he sort of shows up, and, and we can learn a couple of key things from Timothy. One, we learn he's a disciple of Christ. You see that in verse 1. A certain disciple was there. Doesn't really attribute uh, anyone other, and so just, hey, he's a disciple of Christ. Uh, and, and he's got a good, good testimony in verse 2. It says he was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. So Timothy's got lots of potential. He's got a great testimony. But if we consider this passage a bit closer, he's missing some key ingredients too. And it's not because of anything he's done wrong. It's not because of anything he's done wrong. There's just more needed... <coughs> For him to grow. There's just more needed for, for Timothy to grow. And so I want to just list for you a, a few things that he needs. And this is still, we're just in the introduction. So I don't know that I gave you a lot of space on your outline. Yeah, so your this, the introduction stuff goes between taking hold and number one, okay? Um, so you you write small and you, you trust the Lord for wisdom. All right, so um, number one, Timothy is in need of a spiritual father. And we know that if we compare this passage with 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3, Paul says, I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, talking to Timothy, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois 
and thy mother Eunice, I am persuaded that in thee also. And so Paul credits, um, you know, his mom's side and, and, and his grandmother as being the source of the faith. But there's no mention of, of dad. There's no credit given to dad, no commendation of his earthly father at all. And Timothy, like so many of us, he had an earthly father that was physically present, but spiritually was absent. His father didn't provide him any spiritual leadership or direction. And so there's a real need here for Timothy. And for a lot of you here today, I bet there's a real need. I bet there's a real need. If you don't have someone that you can look up to spiritually as dad, you can't become the man that God wants you to be, not the man of God. It can't happen. If you don't have someone that you can voluntarily submit yourself to for spiritual protection, you're in trouble. And you know what? I see too many guys wandering from church to church. Guys that I believe love the Lord sincerely. But because they don't have a spiritual father, they're just wandering from church to church and and essentially just living Christianity according to what's best in their own eyes. And and the moment they encounter any, any, any resistance or anything that's uncomfortable at a church, they're gone and they're on to the next church. I see that often. How can you grow like this? See, you've actually got to have a spiritual father and you've got to be in ministry with that person. And not your necessarily your whole life because Paul Timothy, was not with, with Timothy his whole life. But there was a season where Paul was there investing in Timothy. So how can you grow if you don't have that? You need that. That's critical to your development. So there's a need here for Timothy. He needs a spiritual father. But then he also needs deeper training in the word and the work of the ministry. So Paul saw in Timothy a devoted young man that was ready to go deeper. Yeah, Timothy had been to a couple of cities and, and you know, you, you, you've been under the, the tutelage of your mama and your grandma. That's great, Timothy. That's fine. But there's so much more. You look at verses, look at Acts chapter 6, look back at verses 4 and 5. And they went through the cities and delivered them the decrees for the keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. So were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. I can't imagine what that experience must have been like Mm -hmm. for Timothy. To be a part of these founding churches, these early churches in the Christian faith, and to watch Paul and what he went through to get these churches established in key doctrines that had to be rich. And Timothy would not have gotten that without Paul. He would not have been able to witness that without Paul. And so it was critical for his development. And then what you see is that Paul had the wisdom and insight in verse 3. He had the wisdom and insight to recognize that Timothy had the capacity to be an effective witness to both Jews and Gentiles because of his background, with his mother being a Jew and his dad being a Greek. But there's an issue here. Timothy's got to be circumcised. If you're going, if you're going to witness, minister to any Jews, you've you got to get that taken care of. Otherwise, you're just unclean and you, you, have no, you have no testimony. You have no credibility. No Jew would give Timothy the time of day while he was uncircumcised, but it took a spiritual father to step in and say, we need to do this for you. Because God has more that he can use you 
in. God has more that he can use you in if we do this for you. So Paul, as a loving spiritual father, steps in. And he gives Timothy the keys to become more effective in ministry. And as I look out this morning, I see lots of Timothys. I see lots of Timothys. Most of you are disciples of Christ. You've got good testimonies. But this is a message about going deeper. What is it going to take for you to go deeper? And so we're going to be looking at at several different passages And my goal this morning is to inspire you. Nothing that I'm talking about this morning should happen out of duty or obligation. It should be a desire. It should be a desire. And so I'm going to give you three things, and this is where your outline comes in. Go over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to give you three things. And there's, there's, there's more that I could mention. There's always more, but you've got to boil it down and you've got to pick three and, and, and go for it. And I think these are critical um, to your development. So these are the three things. But three things that you need in order to take hold and, and grow deeper in your relationship and in your walk. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. He says, thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So number one, what you need to do is you need to trust God for a spiritual father. You need to trust God for a spiritual father. Who is that man of God in your life that has that oversight? Now, I say trust God for a spiritual father, but I'm telling you right now, uh, you've got an excellent one in Brandon. You've got an excellent one in Andrew. You've got an excellent one in Bustos. Um, Trust God for a spiritual father. Okay, so at salvation, you come to know God as your father, but where sanctification is concerned, you've got to have a spiritual father. Where sanctification is concerned, you need a spiritual father to be able to speak into your life and to say hard things, stuff that you need to hear. You need somebody to step in your life and say, you're coming with me. I can't imagine what that's like. Paul shows up. Timothy's got a great uh, testimony, and Paul's like, you're coming with me. And then Timothy's on his way. His life is set on a completely different trajectory because he's got a spiritual father now. It's on a completely different trajectory. My spiritual father... Is Sam Miles, and uh, some of you know my story. I, I started at, at KCBT, now Graceway, when I was in um, the high school ministry um, there. And then I switched to the college ministry uh, when I graduated from high school, and Sam was the college and young adults pastor at that time. Um, and I started there. And I was in the college ministry probably for five or six years before um, Midtown was even on the radar, you know, Sam was just a college pastor and, and, and I just, you know, God had brought me there and, 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 um, 
I just knew Sam was my leader. I didn't find my footing in the high school ministry. It didn't work out for me in the high school ministry. And probably because um, hindsight being 2020, I just, I was there. There were a lot of kids from my high school that had started going to the high school ministry at KCBT, which is a good thing. That's fine. But what I found was that I had sourced my identity into what this group of people were doing. And, and God had something completely different for me. And so I had to move into the college ministry. They stayed in the high school ministry as counselors. Uh, and I moved into the college ministry, and, and because I was sort of alone then, it was kind of like me and God now, and now we got to figure this out, and, and God began to sort of rebuild and, 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 and put me on a completely different path that I could not have discovered being in the, in the uh, high school ministry. So that was, um, you know, where I started, and then I remember a few years into um, being a part of the college ministry, Sam was talking about a burden for the inner city. Now, what's interesting is that he was talking about that for several years before we even started a Bible study in Midtown. I mean, he would, he would have, you know, discipleship stuff at his house, SLT group, Bible study things. And he would just talk about this burden um, for Midtown. And, and then, you know, I think after World Outreach Conference, which World Outreach Conference was kind of like their version of our mission focus. That's, that's kind of the equivalent in your mind. So we would have World Outreach Conference every year. And I just remember... One year after uh, mission after World Outreach Conference, Sam was like he just knew in his knower, and he's like, "We're doing this, you know, like we're going to the inner city." And and you know, and and we um, when he made that decision, um, it was it was significant because I mean it meant you know like this shift. You're not going to be going to Graceway. I mean, we were still a part of KCBT, but the Bible study was going to be happening here in Midtown, and we're looking for a building. And you know, and I was kind of like, well. Sam's my guy. Like, if Sam's going, I'm going. Holla. I'm not staying here. Uh, I'm not staying here with y'all. I don't know. You know, like, if Sam's going, I'm going. I'm sorry. You don't have me anymore. So, and, and, and I, I left. You know, I was just following Sam. Um, and, you know, that's, even to this day, I mean, I, I know as, as I've grown, I know God has called me to be here. And, you know, but I would still wrestle with that. Like, if Sam said he was called somewhere else, I would wrestle with that. Like, I'm like, uh-oh, I don't know. Um, you know, because, like, that's, Sam's my spiritual father. And and he's the guy that's invested in me. Um, and so you got to trust God for, for a, a spiritual father. And I want to give you some keys. And this is where your ABCs come in. Uh, I want to give you some keys on how to maximize what your spiritual father has to offer. Okay, A, become their servant. Become their servant. Over in Exodus chapter 24, Exodus chapter 24 and verse 13, it says, And Moses rose up and his minister Joshua, and Moses went up into the mount of God. And as you study out Joshua and Moses, what you find is that Joshua was basically always with Moses. And where Moses went, Joshua was going. And so after Moses died, it made sense that Joshua would step up and take command because he had been with Moses all the time. He had been with Moses. And so when you find a spiritual father, become their servant. So if you want to be invested in more by Brandon, become Brandon's servant. Find out what you can help with. If you want to be invested more in by Andrew, become Andrew's servant. And I know sometimes we think, oh, I got to have somebody that will meet with me one-on-one and teach me, you know, like all these things about the scriptures. And that's, we have tools and channels for that. What these men need are servants. 
people to actually engage with them in the work and help. And if you do that, I guarantee you will get you will you will gain far more than you bargained for. You will gain far more than you bargained for. Missions trips. Maybe Sam gets to go on a missions trip where he's going to be the main speaker. You ought to be like, okay, can I come help? Seriously. What do you need me to do? I'll carry your bags. Well, I'll be there. Because what you want, what you want to be, what you want to be is the fly on the wall. You want to be the guy that gets to be a part of the meetings, not because you've got anything to offer, but because you're the assistant and you just get to sit in the room. Yeah. That's what you want to be. And if you can make that happen, if you can make that happen. Uh, you just you learn so much, and I've learned so much from Sam um, being one of his servants. Being one of his servants. I'm not the only one, but I'm, I'm, I'm one of them. And, and, and it's always stuff, it's always the stuff that's unplanned. It's always the moments that are unplanned where you're just having conversation. And I remember one particular conversation um, where, you know, Sam was telling me about uh, a ministry leader that had been not treating him well. Um, and the thing that he said to me, it kind of shocked me because I wasn't expecting it. You know, he said, you know what, Eric, I can... I can take a ministry leader not treating me well. I can work with that. But what I won't accept is us not dying to love others. And that kind of took me back because I'm like, wait a minute. So you're telling me like he where he drew the line was not how he was being treated. Where he drew the line was how this person was treating other people. And I see like that's Moses. You see that in Moses, how he he would he would intercede for for the people that were speaking against him, how meek and loving he was. And I I see that in Sam. And I just I had to think about that. And Sam was just telling me that because he was illustrating something else. And the conversation moved on. And I'm sure Sam has probably forgotten about that conversation, (laughs) you know, but like that stuck with me because I'm like, that's not me. That's not me. Like, if I start treating me bad, I'm, I got an issue. You know, we're going to have to talk about this. But where he drew the line was the fact that this ministry leader wasn't loving other people. And so, you know, my point is, like, you need a spiritual father. Become their servant and find out how you can help them. And in doing so, you will grow and you will learn. And, and here's the reality. This is great career advice. I'm giving you career advice on how to be promoted. This has worked for me time and time again. I'm serious. I remember when I was a, um, I was a site manager for a company called CDS, and I wanted to be a district manager. I desperately wanted to be. I was young and ambitious. I wanted to be a district manager. And so my boss was a district manager. And she was, I mean, if you know the life of a district manager, they work just like just all the time. Just You wake up and you work, and you just work till you go to sleep, and you do it seven days a week. And so... Uh, I knew she was always busy, and so I just started offering to help with stuff. And you get some people, well, you know, if I'm going to take on more work, you got to give me more pay, and you know, and they look down on the fact that you take on more work and you don't take more, you know, and you don't ask for more pay. But I already knew what I was doing. I was positioning myself, <laughs> right? And so the more stuff she would give me, I was happy to do it. And then it started happening every time she would go on vacation. Okay, guys, if you have any questions, call Eric. <laughs> and finally 
you know, as the things, just the course of events, she transitioned and she left the company. And guess who got promoted? I did. Because I already knew how to do it. I was already doing the work, and, it, and I was viewed that way by my peers, but then also her superiors. They knew about me because I was doing the work for her when she would go on vacation. I'm serious. That is how you get promoted. Yeah. It works every time. It's worked every time for me. Now, there is a caveat. If you're going to take on more responsibilities, you do have to do them well, right? So if you take on <laughs> more responsibilities and you screw up something, they're going to be like, okay, that's... All right, you're just going to leave you where you're at. And, <laughs> you know, so, you know, all right, so we're going to keep moving. Um, we, uh, okay, yes. <laughs> anyway, number two, all right, so number one, oh, we said A, become their servant. B, look back at chapter two, verse one. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Number B, letter B, you have to be strong in grace. Now, what does that mean? How do you be strong in grace? It's amazing when a disciple comes to the end of himself. When a disciple can wholeheartedly say, Romans 7, 8, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. And I think we know that in our head, but in our heart and in how we operate, we've got to learn that. We've got to operate out of a hard belief because here's the reality. Grace is only activated when we surrender and die. Grace is only activated when we surrender and die to our own self-will. Grace is present in our weakness, not our wickedness. Not your wickedness. Grace flees from your pride. This requires coming to a place where you are no longer dependent on self and self-ability. And honestly, this usually requires God allowing you to mess up enough stuff so that you can step back and say, I can't do this. Now you can experience grace and ministry. We really don't have time to look at it, but over in Exodus chapter 2, that's the story uh, where you find, you know, Moses knew he was going to be a deliverer of the people to lead them and to help to deliver them. And uh, he says, um, Exodus 2.11, And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked on the burdens and spied an Egyptian, smiting a Hebrew, one of his brethren. Um, and then what you find out um, is that he killed him. Uh, verse uh, Exodus 2.12, 2, 2, And he looked this way and that way, and when he saw that there was no man. Ain't that something? And when he looked this way and that way and he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Um, and then, verse 13, and when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together. And he said unto them that did the, him that did the wrong, wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? Right? And so he's an, already stepped into this leadership role. He's like, I'm putting them down and, and setting them up. And, and, you know, what are you doing? You know, and he's, he's taking charge. And he's like, are you going to kill me like you killed that other guy? Um, and so Moses flees because he's like, oh, no, Pharaoh knows about it. Um, and so then God's got to drop Moses off in the wilderness. Um, and Moses has got to be a shepherd and we got to cool Moses off. And what happens is that that time God brings him to a place where he, he completely burns out this, this self-dependency. And you see that in the conversation that God has with Moses when he finally does call Moses Over in chapter 4, 
He says, And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am of slow speech and of a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth, or who, is, who maketh the dumb, or deaf, or seeing, or, or blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. See, this is a man that's ready for grace. This is a man that's ready for grace. He's done with self-will. He's like, I can't do this. And so now he's yielding. You see that in Paul's life. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto thee, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory and in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And so being strong in, the grace, in grace, it means that you're a disciple that you don't turn to your flesh to solve problems. This disciple doesn't turn to his flesh for comfort. This disciple is strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So you need to become a servant, the servant of your spiritual fathers. You need to be strong in grace. And then number C, letter C, and then we're going to move to our second point. You've got to seek out other faithful men to invest in. He says, verse 2, 2 Timothy 2, 2, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. See, we're not just looking for any men. We are looking for faithful men to invest in. Here's the key. Faithfulness is demonstrated over time. It has to be proved out. That's the only way you can know if someone's faithful. That's the only way you can know if someone is faithful. And I can remember in my zeal of wanting to make disciples and wanting to obey that command that I made the mistake of investing in men who were not faithful. Now, not not everybody. There's some that, you know, I'm not saying everybody, but there was one person in particular. Um, And I remember this guy, he didn't. And I should have, in hindsight, being 20, I'm like, I am so stupid. Why did I even? Uh, But anyway, so this guy, he didn't want to come to church. He didn't want to come to church. I'm like, but you got to be a disciple. You got to be a disciple. And so here I am meeting with him. I'm taking him through the cost of discipleship material. Because he doesn't want to come to church and go through the cost of discipleship. But in my zeal, I'm, I'm taking him through it. And then we get through that painfully. Uh, and then we start meeting to cover the lessons. And I can remember him missing lessons and, and, and I would show up and I'm ready, you know, Bible, I'm prepared. And, and he, you know, he slept through it. And then, and then it, I remember the moment where it's like, okay, we're, this is, this is not going to work. Um, and he said, I called him and he I woke him up and, and, and then he's like, yeah, I'm not going to make it. But, you know, next time, if you could just, you know, if you could just text me before each lesson, then I could remember to come. What? There's a list of things that I know you got going on in your life that I don't have to text you to remind you to do. <laughs> and that's why you need to be a disciple. Um, you know, and, 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 and the point is, he wasn't faithful. Jesus was concerned about quality. He, was, he, he did not care. Quantity, I'll take less men that are quality. Yeah. You see that illustrated in John chapter 6. John 6, 66, it says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Jesus would say stuff, and he's like, what are you going to do about it? 
And he turns to the other disciples. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, will ye also go away? I'm not going to beg you to stay. Then Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. John chapter 6, verse 66 through 69. And so you need to be trusting God for faithful men to invest in. And what does that do? It may stretch you. You may you, you, in investing in, in, in faithful men, it may stretch you. They may have things going on in their life that you're like, I don't know how to deal with that. Okay, that's when you get to invite your spiritual father to be a part of this work of investing. That's actually how you grow. That's actually how you learn. That's actually how you get more Brandon time. That's actually how you get more Andrew time when you are investing in faithful men. That's how that happens. And so, number one, trust God for a spiritual father. But then, number two, You've got to live as a soldier of Jesus Christ. Live as a soldier of Jesus Christ. I want to look at the example. Let's see here. Verse 3, 2 Timothy uh, 2.3. He says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. This 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 is Paul to Timothy. And I want to spend some time on what it means to be a soldier because I think we, we, we run the risk of missing out on the critical truth of being a soldier. And so I want to look at the example of a soldier in the Old Testament. That's uh, probably not actually viewed as a soldier, but he actually was. Go over to Exodus 17. Exodus chapter 17. And verse 8 says... Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose out men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. This is the first mention that you see of Joshua. First mention of Joshua. And there are a few things that I want you to take note about what we see here in Joshua in this first mention. A, letter A, he's trained and ready. Joshua's trained and ready. There's a need in chapter 8, Exodus 17, 8. Amalek comes ready to fight against Israel. And immediately Moses turns to Joshua and he says, choose, go, fight. Choose, go, fight. How many of you are ready? How many of you are ready? When Brandon comes, can Brandon say, this is the need? Can he say to you, choose, go, fight, and you're ready to go? There are far more, there's far more need than there are laborers. You know, if you were here last Sunday for the vision, Sam put up a map of different churches across the U.S. that have uh, need for experienced ministers. And so part of what I want you to do, my goal is to envision you for the need to become trained and ready. That Sam can come to you, Andrew can come to you, Brandon can come to you with a need and say, choose, go, fight. Choose, go, fight. So what does that look like? I'm going to just give you a few things. What does that look like? It looks like D2. Get a deeper grounding in the fundamentals of the word of God. Discipleship 2. I'm assuming some of you are, many of you have been through discipleship or you're going through discipleship. That's D1. D2 is a one year 
uh, course where you get a better understanding of, of, of the levels of spiritual growth. That'll be covered. Characteristics of a man and woman of God, those character qualities, the philosophy of discipleship, and you get a, a better grasp on how to study the Word of God. D2. So move forward in faith that God is going to enable you to use what you're studying. God may not get... There was no talk when, when Moses came to Joshua. There was no talk about, well, Joshua, you know, you know, I need you to do this, and if you do this for me, you know, after I die, you can take over. <laughs> like, no, like, it, it was, Joshua was ready, and he was just ready to fulfill the needs. Here's the reality. When I came to Midtown with Sam, Sam didn't offer me a position. He didn't offer anybody a position. It was just, let's, let's go and minister in the heart of our city, and where there was need, you jump in and you fill the need. If there's a need and you have the ability, you jump in, you do it, and you do it with excellence. <clears throat> That's what happened. That's what happened. Find a system of note-taking. Find a system of note-taking. You need a wide-margin Bible. I know you get this preached all the time, but you need one. You need a wide-margin Bible. Here's why. Because you're never going to remember everything you learned. You are never going to remember it. And so if you're going to be the one that's not allowing any of God's words to fall to the ground, how are you going to be an effective minister if you if you got to, well, let me answer that question. Okay, let me run home and open up some notebook or some box where I threw some papers in. What? what? And it doesn't mean you've got to write every, like, the, 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 the important stuff. you got to be getting it in your Bible so that you have it to refer to. So you're writing notes. You're taking notes with expectation that God, you're, by faith, that you're going to have the opportunity to teach this to someone someday. And so a system of note-taking. I say wide margin Bible, and, you know, I don't get any cut out of this, but I think you should get Evernote as well. Um, if you don't use Evernote, uh, you know, I thank Bustos for that. Bustos, every, like, two weeks he's got a new app that he's, um, <laughs> like, oh, have you tried this yet? Uh, but Evernote, what? They're all good, yeah. But Evernote, what it allows you to do is like, so I, I, I'm, I'm, my, my latest thing is paperless, okay? So like I take notes on a Sunday, take a picture of it. I can organize it in, in my Evernote files. And so now, like, at the touch of a button on my iPhone or on my, my Mac or on my, my iPad, I can pull up notes on Hebrews. I can pull up the notes on the judgment seat of Christ. I can pull up the notes on Romans. Like, I have my, my, my three-ring binders in Evernote now. You know, and that stuff is and, 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 and you can use it. You can use it. You have access to it. We can talk about pricing and subscription services. <laughs> Get with me afterwards. Hallelujah. Um, all right. So here's the reality. Even though there there's far more need than there are laborers. Here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to make the mistake of putting people in positions that they're not ready for. We are not going to do that. In my workplace, I've seen this play out more times than, 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 than I can count. You know, I work in sales. I'm a senior sales manager. And, uh, you know, when you work in a sales organization, particularly one that's fast growing, um, there's always a need for more managers because the company's growing. We're, we're starting more sales teams and we need managers to manage those teams. And what, what I've seen happen, though, is that you get some person with great sales, and just because you have great sales doesn't mean you're going to be a great manager. And they promote this person, and it's like there's all the glory, and, oh, you know, we just promoted Michael, and 
And he's our latest, you know, our next sales manager, and everybody on the sales floor is like, oh, ooh-ha. And then, you know, like four months later, um, their cubicle's empty. And they did have their own team in this area, and you don't see them in this area anymore. Next time you see them, they're, in, they're back on so-and-so, this other manager's team, their sales rep again. And how does that happen? They promote people that aren't ready. That's what happens when you promote people, and that's what happens in the in the in the business world. But in in the in the world of ministry, where you talk about the lives of the spiritual life of of men and women, usually when you put someone in a position that they're not ready for, it doesn't just hurt them; it hurts the people that they were in charge of. Yeah. And and it's a very painful process of of, of transition, and and now you got to deal with the cleanup work of the healing of the people that were hurt in this in all of this. And so we can't put people in positions that they're not ready for and so we need people that are ready beyond that lfbi lfbi get a vision for going deeper in your understanding for ministry philosophy and missions how your bible fits together the good thing about lfbi our living faith bible institute is that you're not being taught by professors that are speaking about theory you're being taught by pastors, evangelists, and ministers that are actively engaged in the work of the Lord. Amen. They're engaged in it. A lot of times you've got senior pastors. They're actually engaged in the work of the Lord. It's worth sacrificing for. It's worth spending your Saturday mornings to get that type of training. Amen. I went through shepherd school, which was the, the, the past version of LFBI when we were at, at, at KCBT. And I, again... I, didn't, I went through shepherd school because I wanted to be equipped. I had no idea how God was going to use me. I had no idea. Nobody made me any promises. Um, you know, but I was like, I just knew I wanted to be ready. And so I started shepherd school after I got my bachelor's degree. Um, you know, I graduated in May, and in fall I had started shepherd school. Uh, and, and I just did it because I wanted to be ready. And then guess what? There was need. When we came here to uh, Midtown, and, and this thing, like the Bible study started growing and we knew we were going to be going to Sunday mornings. Um, there was nobody else to teach how to study the Bible or the D2 material. And so by default, I was like, Sam, I'll do it. You know, <laughs> Sam needed somebody to do it. And I was like, sure, I'll do it. And that's why I teach it. That's how it happened. And so, <laughs> well, here, let me, let me make something clear. I don't want Sam's job, by the way. I, I like what I'm doing now. I, I have I have no desire. I have because okay, so because I do feel like I do get to see a lot of what goes on with Sam, uh my respect for him um has quadrupled and that's the hardest working servant in this church, yeah. Sam Miles. And, you know, like I, I, I couldn't do it the way he the amount of hours and it just yes, okay. So um <laughs> But here it is, Ephesians 4, verse 11 through 14. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. So you've got to be established in this book so that you can't be deceived. So that when you hear those winds of doctrines that come out often, they come out often, you find them in worship music, you find them in conversations, you find them in the latest books, you you can spot that thing. 
And so what you see is A, Joshua was trained and ready, but then B, Joshua had experience and insight. Joshua had experience and insight. See, in Exodus chapter 17, verse 9, Joshua had to be able to choose the right men and set the right strategy. So when Moses comes to Joshua and he said, like, go and fight, what do you think, what do you think, how do you think Joshua handled that? Was he just kind of like, well, guys, you know, grab your weapons and we're just going to go fight. And that's the charge. I doubt it, right? (laughs) Even though they know God is with them, that doesn't mean you disengage your your brain and you're just willy-nilly, loosey-goosey, right? <laughs> like, there's there's strategy involved. We got to talk about this. We got to talk about who's going to stand where. Joshua's got to pick the right men for this. Yeah. If you don't pick the right person, and this is something I'll tell you just because, it, you know, being a manager for some 15 years, um, when you're hiring, most of the time, the the um, you most companies have failed just by the time they post the job description. They ain't even started looking for people. They've already failed because they don't even know who they're looking for. They don't even know who they're looking for. And and the key to success, one critical key, is hiring the right people, just getting the right people in the right position. That's why HR, I mean, if you go into HR, you can make good money if you you, you rise at the top of the ranks because HR managers, you know, someone that's actually good at that, picking the right person for the right position. And, and the only way you learn that, the only way I've learned to hire the right people is because I've hired hundreds of people and I've hired the wrong people. And when I hire the wrong person, I have to go back and I have to say, okay, did I miss something here? What? Then I look at their background again. It's like, could I have prevented this hire if I had just dug a little deeper or noticed this? And through that experience, you gain insight. And I'm not like perfect at hiring, but I know certain things that I recognize now when I interview people that I wouldn't have been able to see 15 years ago. Makes me better at hiring. Makes me better at hiring. And so practical ministry wisdom is gained through experience. Practical ministry wisdom is gained through experience. And so you need that. You need that as a soldier. You need that experience. And this is why I say, like, you know, attach yourself to Brandon and Andrew. Find people, find godly men to attach yourself to and learn from them so that you can gain that experience. So that you can gain that experience. How much time do I have? Because we started. How much time do you need? I probably need another 20 minutes. We started like 9.18, so I didn't. No, I'm not blaming anybody. I'm not, I'm not pointing to anybody, okay? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, no, uh, that's fine. All right, so, um, you know, and I, I, I speak about this, just the, the critical nature of experience, and I've learned in time that, uh, why experience is so important, and I, I'm always coming from a business standpoint because that's my background. Uh, and I think about uh, how many of you know who Meg Whitman is? Nobody knows who Meg Whitman is. Okay, oh, come on, this stuff. Uh, close. That's Melissa. Um, yeah. Um, no, Meg Whitman was. Um, she was CEO of eBay. Okay. Now she, when she started eBay. She started eBay. Um, she started at eBay when they had thirty employees and they were doing four million a year. And when she left, eBay had fifteen thousand employees and they were doing eight billion dollars in revenue. Meg Whitman. Okay. So my point is, like, you look at that now. MBA is great. Get you an MBA. I need to get my MBA, but you can't replicate that experience. You cannot replicate that experience. 
And so when you have a failing company like HP, she was the, 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 the best person to take over that company. Uh, and that's where she's at now. She's, at, she's CEO of HP. Uh, and she's trying to turn that company around. But that experience, you cannot replicate that. And in speaking about what she did when she took on her role at HP, she said, uh, I was watching an interview, and she said, you know, uh, most freshman CEOs make the mistake of coming in and only focusing on what's being done wrong. And she said, when I came here, the first thing that I wanted to identify is what are we doing right? And what we're doing right, we need to start doing more of and, and, and doing less of the stuff that we're doing wrong. And she said, you know, I knew that because this wasn't my first, this wasn't my first time at the rodeo. This woman's kind of like Southern, you, you can get that Texas thing going on. But it, that's the benefit of experience. Why is it, why is it, why is it that companies want experience? Experienced employees, executives, when you, read the, when you read the job descriptions, one of the things they look for, 10 to 15 years of experience. Why do they want that? They want someone who's made the mistakes on someone else's dime. That's what they want. They want someone who's made the mistakes on someone else's dime so that when we put you in this role, you've got the experience to be able to knock it out of the ballpark because you've already made the mistakes somewhere else. And my point is you're going to make mistakes, but you've got to get the experience. You've got to start doing. Dive in. Get to work serving and serving faithfully. And then we've got two keys to living like a soldier, and then we're going to move to the last point and we're going to be done. Two keys to living like a soldier. Okay, so he says, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And so key, uh, the first key to being living like a soldier is you've got to endure hardness. So if you're operating with the mindset of a soldier, you've got to know that there are going to be hard times. And the expectation is that you are going to endure and so I've got bad news for you this morning. Bad news. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, here is the key, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. That's Ephesians 6.13. And what you can understand from Ephesians 6.13 is that you've got an evil day coming. Everybody in this room has an evil day coming. This is not a promise of how to avoid the evil day. This is a promise of how to stand in the evil day. The evil day is where the enemy gets to unfold most or all of what he has been wanting to do to you. And as you study the word of God, what you find out is that everybody's been through their evil day. Job had an evil day. Um, Daniel in the lion's den had an evil day. Joseph had an evil day. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they had an evil day. Jesus comes to Peter in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, and he says, The Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have, to have you that he may sift you as wheat. That's what he says. That he may sift you as wheat. But then, verse 32, But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. 
So Jesus is like, I'm not going to stop it from happening. I'm going to let him sift you. I'm going to let him sift you, but I pray for you that your faith fell not. Amen. Where is that in Luke? Luke chapter 22, verse 31 and 32. So what you have to understand, God is not afraid to let you go through an evil day. That's coming. And the expectation is that you're going to endure. The expectation is that you're going to endure as a soldier. And the temptation will be that your faith will fail and that you will give up. And then the, uh, the last thing that you need to do, and then we're going to get to our last point and we're going to be done. Number two, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who have chosen him to be a good soldier. So point number two, uh, don't entangle. One is endure hardness. Point number two is don't entangle. This has everything to do with your heart. Some of us are going through evil days not because the enemy's done it, but because we're just suffering it as a consequence of our own actions. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. How can you be a soldier if you are entangled with the stuff that's going on in this life? If you're too entangled and you're too attached... How can you be an effective soldier when all you're doing is walking around trying to work out your problems? So don't entangle. Don't entangle. All right, and then point number three, and then we're we're wrapping it up. Be a workman in the word of Jesus Christ. And I'm actually really excited about looking at these verses because I think this is awesome. Um, So here's the thing. Just because you finish D2 and LFBI does not mean you are a workman in the word. Just because you finish D2 and LFBI doesn't make you. Anybody can take the classes and finish the quizzes and pass the tests. Being a workman in the word has to do with your personal desire and discipline to be in the word of God consistently and regularly you your bible the holy spirit those are the and quality time those are the ingredients to become a workman you know the command of scripture is to be not many masters and so for me the decision that i've made is that above anything else in my life if i want to be a master of something what i'm going to be a master of is this book and that's a lifelong pursuit That's a lifelong pursuit, becoming a master of this book, knowing it. And so I want to look at some passages again to inspire you. Go over to Judges chapter 20. This is letter A, Judges chapter 20 and verse 16. I'm going to look at some mighty men here. Mighty men Judges chapter 20, verse 16, it says, Among all this people, there were 700 chosen men left-handed. Everyone could sling stones at a hair breadth and not miss. Sling stones at a hair breadth and not miss. I want you to notice the precision of how they handle their weapon. Now, how do you think they got that? You just woke up and they could do it? (laughs) 
No, that type of that type of ability doesn't just fall out of the sky, does it? That that comes from practice, regular practice and training. That's where you get that from. So where the word of God is concerned, what is your ability to rightly apply the word of God to the particular nuances of people's lives? Someone has a problem. Is your response, well, go read the Gospel of John three times and pray. Right? Go read the Gospel. Well, okay, thank you. Or maybe your response is more generally Jesus, right? Because that's, that's always the right answer. Oh, I'm struggling with this. Okay, Jesus. That's not helping anyone. Like, we know that. That's assumed. But to be able to open this word up and have an understanding of it, the principles within it to help someone in an area of stronghold of their life to help them to apply it in such a way that they can gain victory and move forward, that requires precision in your handling of this book. That requires precision. And the only way you acquire that is through working in the book, through spending time in it. How long does it take to develop that? How much practice and training do you need? And so I want you to think about that. Because in terms of what's needed for your growth, you've got to become a workman in this book. And it's got to be more than what's being handed out. So it's got to be more than what takes place in your small group Bible studies. It's got to be more than what's, what you're getting from D2. Yeah. There's got to be some personal pursuit, some above and beyond. Nobody told you to do it, but you're doing it because of your desire to do it and grow. Letter B. Watch this. This is good. This is good. First Chronicles chapter 12. First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Here it is. These are they that came to David to Ziklag while he yet kept himself close because of Saul, the son of Kish. And they were among the mighty men. Helpers of the war. We've been talking about that. These were among the mighty men, the helpers of the war. Now, here they are. Listen to this description. They were armed with bows and could use both the right hand and the left in hurling stones and shooting arrows out of a bow, even of Saul's brethren and Benjamin. That's amazing to me. Now, what type of adversary is that? Someone that, like, with both hands, just, that's like two people in one, right? Like, that's, you're you're fighting at least two people. So you get somebody that's just mastered use of the right hand going up against someone who's mastered use of both hands? They're shutting you down. They're going to shut you down, son. Now I have to look this up because I was curious. Okay, ambidexterity, that's what this is called, is the state of being equally adapted in the use of both the left and the right hand. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean? How does this how is this reflected in our handling of the word of God? And it occurs to me that your Bible has an Old Testament and a New Testament. It occurs to me that your Bible has an Old Testament and a New Testament. And some of you need to work on your biblical ambidexterity. Your biblical ambidexterity to be able to use both the Old Testament And the New Testament. You don't just get to skip over the books that are considered hard. That's how you grow deeper. That's how you grow deeper. 
Spend some time understanding. And, and you know what? Take it once. It's a lifelong pursuit. You're not going to become ambidextrous overnight, right? It's a lifelong pursuit. But take time out. Pick a book that, that you've not studied before, that when you ask somebody, they're like, uh, I don't know. And you decide that you're going to become the master of that book. Ezekiel, Leviticus, Amos, Jude, the books that you're like, what is what? What? Where is that at? Because God has truth there. God has truth there. But that's how you become a workman in the word. Left-handed, right-handed. And that's how you can engage effectively in war and you can be an effective minister in the lives of men and women because you understand this book. And last but not least, go point C. 2 Samuel 23, 9. 2 Samuel 23, 9. And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Ahohite, one of the three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines that were gathered together to battle, and the men of, of Israel were gone away. And here it is, 2 Samuel 23.10. says, he arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clave unto the sword. And the Lord wrought a great victory that day, and the, repeat, and the people returned after him only to spoil. Where are the men of God that in their weakness are willing to cling to the word of God? This man was, 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 was so used, his hand was weary, but it, 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 it froze in the grip of clinging to the word of God. Clinging to the sword. So in your weariness, can you find yourself locked in with the word of God? You couldn't let go if you wanted to. And when that happens, God says, uh, when that happens with his servants, he can get the victory. Yeah. God can get a mighty victory. And so I want to put this all together for you. These are the things that it's going to take if you're going to move to the next level in your walk. Having that spiritual father that you can attach yourself to. That you can serve. And God will use that to grow you, living life like a soldier of Jesus Christ, deciding to become trained and ready, and then becoming workmen in the word of God, because it's your weapon, it's the, it's the thing that God has given you. And so, you know, I encourage you, you know, in your, in your times today to, to, to really consider what God is calling you to, what's your next step, there's a lot here, what's your next step, D2, LFBI, Hey, I need to go ask Brandon how I can serve. I need to go ask Andrew. I need to get I need to get I get I need to get moving. You know, more time in the word. Whatever it is, you know, you make that decision. I'm going to pray and then we're going to keep moving. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time in your word and Lord, I, I just pray that uh, we came willing to make changes, Father. And Lord, that we not leave the same. That we be willing to spend more time with you. Uh, Lord, that we take hold of the spiritual fathers you place in our lives, that we would be willing to live as soldiers, not being entangled in the things of this world, Father, that we would find ourselves workmen uh, laboring in your word, Father, with, with our, our last breath, uh, Lord, because you're worthy.
And so would you use the rest of this today for your glory, Father? Uh, pray people be built up and edified. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Eric.